you would turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And we're going to skip a few verses for the sake of, of time. But begin reading at Deuteronomy verse 11, verse 1. I'm going to read this morning out of the NIV translation of the Bible. I usually don't do that, but because of the subject matter and the ease to understand the point that I believe God is trying to get across, that's the reason for this translation. Verse 1, love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. The signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. Verse 5, it was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place. But it was your own eyes, verse 7, but it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot, as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. And I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle. And you will eat and be satisfied. In other words, God is going to pour out his blessings. Amen? Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. You say, Mike, what are you doing talking about Christmas? Not even October. Well, it's going to be here before we know it. And since I'm starting out talking about Christmas today, I even wore my Christmas socks. Christmas. But you know, I think that as I get older, I think it's, it's the memories of Christmas that, that I love instead of the actual holiday. Because you know, with five kids and seven grandkids, it can be quite expensive. Now, Starla and I and my family, we usually celebrate the holiday with my sister and her family. And so because with all the people involved in all the different homes the kids need to go to, we've gone to celebrating 
our family Christmas before Christmas Eve or, or Christmas Day. And so, but what that means is though, when Christmas Day finally rolls around, I feel a little let down because there's no celebration. I mean, when I was younger, it was the biggest day of the year, and now it's just, it's just a day without very much traffic and even fewer restaurants open. And so on Christmas morning, Starla and I, we have our Christmas together, which she usually wins, but I'm not keeping score. And then we try to find a McDonald's or a Burger King open, and then we'll, and then we'll go to the movies. Interesting, last year we couldn't find anything open except an Asian restaurant that never closes. That was our Christmas dinner. I mean, what happened to turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing? See, my frustration is because I have this preconceived idea of what Christmas ought to be based on my past experiences. And my past experiences do not include McDonald's, Burger King, or sushi on Christmas Day. It's demonic. Every time I walk in someplace that doesn't serve turkey and dressing, I'm afraid lightning's going to strike. But I realize that while my expectation is reasonable, it is unreasonable, unreasonable for me to expect 40 people to adjust to my nostalgic whims. And so we've developed a new normal four-hour Christmas experience. And because I am so mature and so wonderful, I understand that sometimes you have to sacrifice your traditions for effectiveness. <laughs> Lord, I'm not quite here. Let, 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 me, let me step over here to see if it's a little clearer. Yes, 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 Lord. Josh, the Lord said, quit playing with the lights. <laughs> now, our text begins by talking about experiences that the children of Israel have experienced. And experience is really important, particularly in the Hebrew tradition that honored older men and older women. Now, it's different in American tradition because we don't appreciate age. Let's be honest, we fight it. We have tummy tucks, we have facelifts, we attack age as if it was a curse. We dye our hair, we fix our teeth, and we do anything we can to make ourselves look younger. Because the younger we look, the better we feel about ourselves. While in other cultures, the older you are, the more honor you receive because age is, a sin, is symbolic of wisdom and understanding. And so this text reflects the, ask, the, the respect for experience. After 400 years of slavery, God, by his mighty power, delivered the Israelites from the oppression of Pharaoh. These people were slaves one day, and they were free the next day through a man named Moses who liberated them from Pharaoh and his bondage. But you have to understand, they, they were delivered out of slavery, not only physically, but economically. The mighty hand of the Lord moved on the Egyptians to give the Hebrews gold and silver, silver until their backs were bent from carrying all the wealth out of the land of Egypt. The children of Israel had seen the mighty hand of God release frogs and famine to fight Pharaoh. 
They had seen God open up the Red Sea so that they could walk across on dry land. They had seen Pharaoh and his army drowned in the Red Sea. As they traveled for 40 years in the wilderness, they didn't have to darn a hole in their garments. God kept the soles of their shoes from wearing out. The children of Israel had seen the mighty hand of God. God clapped his hands and manna began to fall and pheasants began to fly. He clapped his hands and water came gushing out of a rock. He clapped his hands and their enemies were swallowed up in the wilderness. God clapped his hands and he made a way when there was no way. They had an experience with God. And there's something to be said for an experience with God. Because think about it, when you put your experience on an application, well, you get opportunities based on that experience. That's why they want a resume. Because your experience can give the employer some idea of what they get when they get you. Any psychologist will tell you the best way to determine someone's future behavior is to look at their past behavior. And so, if he killed the last three women he dated and you're number four, your chances don't look very good, sweetheart. I'm just telling you. See, experience can be a good thermometer of what to expect in the future. But you have to understand that experience does have its liabilities. Because experience can put you in a box where you assume that you can win the fight before you the same way you won the fight behind you. See, when experience becomes tradition, it becomes dangerous. See, when you lock God in a box and say that he has to work like he did before, you lose the ability to progress into new expressions of deliverance and blessing that God has for you. And so if he can get us to stop worshiping how he did it in the past and start recognizing that he is the God who did it, then we'll see something new. So our text shows us an open display of how God moved and healed and delivered the children of Israel time and time again. Nothing in their history prepared them with all that they had been through for the time that they were getting ready to move into. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that we are living in a time that is distinctly different from anything we have ever seen before. And so our text says your children did not see God do what you saw him do. So that means they have a different perspective because they have come from a different place. So what we have to realize is that instead of us leading them into a change, they may have to lead us because our experience could possibly be a liability if we are limiting God to be able to operate in only one way, the way we've seen him operate in the past. It can be dangerous if we're approaching today's battle with yesterday's methodology. I mean, you just married Tom after being married to Bob. And now you're reacting to Tom as if he were Bob. You're reacting to Helen as if she were Susie. The man, who are you talking to? Where have you been? See, it's dangerous because you're still locked into how things were rather than how things are. 
And it's amazing how God will give us a new situation, but then we'll end up ruining it with an old method. It's surprising and sad how many people leave their old church because they were frustrated with not being fed or frustrated with the gossip or simply frustrated because the donuts weren't fresh. You think I'm kidding. But if they're not careful, they're going to recreate the same environment that they got out of because it's difficult to break the bondages of your past even when you hated them. You want more proof? How many women resented how their mothers raised them, but now when the heat's on, they start acting just like their moms? Don't say amen, men. Don't, don't, don't look at your wife. Don't point any, or anything like that. Because you're just as guilty. How many boys hated the way their fathers talked to their mothers, but now when things don't go right at home, you start doing the very same thing. I guess I didn't tell you to wear your steel toe boots today, did I? See, you can be in a new place but still have the same old attitude. And if you don't change the old attitude and the old methodology, you're going to ruin what you have by using the experience of what you had because now is not then. God help us to get past our past experiences. Those things that keep pulling us back into bondage where we, continue, where we continue reacting the same way to the same mess that we say we hated. God needs to change our methodology so we can receive what he has for us today. You see, because if we don't, life will create for us according to the methodology that we have. For example, how many of us are snared by the words of our own mouth? Continually. Even when we know better. You keep cursing yourself by the things you say. And you're recreating your same nightmare, and that's why Tom ends up acting like Bob, and Helen ends up acting like Susie, because the problem wasn't them. The problem is you, and God needs to deliver us out of our old ways. Our sin nature continually tries to defeat where we are when we revert to the methodology of where we've been. And education's not going to fix it. A new house isn't going to fix it. A new spouse isn't going to fix it. A new church isn't going to fix it because it's something going on down inside of us that we have to crucify every day. That's why Paul says, daily I crucify my flesh. Now, this whole series has been about change, and like I've said, change is inevitable. But you see, growth is optional. And it's a lot easier to change superficially than to grow internally and permanently to where we are really free from where we came from. The grace of God, the blessings of God will keep pulling you into now, but you'll keep falling back into then. And so, now you're I mean, you're 40 years old, but you're tired like you're 70. Because for 30 years, you have spent every day going back and forth. You've never rested in the promised land because you keep diverting back into the wilderness. Because you have a wilderness experience, you have wilderness language, you have wilderness methodology. 
You have not crucified your wilderness mentality. It's wonderful. Congratulations. You've got a master's degree, but you've got an eighth grade attitude. They hired the man they interviewed, but after a few Mondays, the guy who comes in and sits at your desk isn't the man they interviewed. We have to change our methods to exist in the place where God wants to take us. Okay, enough spiritual psychology. Back to the text. In the Bible, all the cities... They had to be sustained by their access to water. And if they didn't live near water, there had to be a system in place to satisfy that basic human need. And verse 10 says, when you were in Egypt, you developed a system for having a city in a dry place. And their system necessitated that the farmers irrigated their crops by physically getting the water to where the crops were. Now, they didn't have motors, they didn't have electricity, so how did they get the water into the field? Well, the Bible says that they irrigated the field some way by using their foot. And so all of their lives, they had become proficient at a system that now they no longer needed. How often do we become good at something that we no longer need? So now they're coming into the promised land, and they have an old, antiquated system that was a wonderful blessing for yesterday. For yesterday. What I'm trying to get you to see is that something that was a blessing yesterday may not work for today. Something that God used to bring you through your past may not be what He uses to take you into your future. And so we have to have faith in God that he knows what he's doing, and you have to know that that was then, but this is now, and you have to bathe your mind in the Word of God until you can finally relax enough to say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to react the way that I used to react because I'm beginning to understand this is a new day and a new place, and then is not now. Our prayer needs to be, Lord, wash my mind until my past experiences don't pollute my present situation. And let me be in tune with you enough to receive the blessing in the way that you want me to have it. God, I don't have to be like Burger King. Let me have it my way. God, give it to me your way. See, there are times when God needs to get down deep into our heart to root out the elements that are stopping us from becoming all that God would have us be. God wants you to break loose from your history so that you can step into your destiny. Because, friend, I want you to know God has blessings for you that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, nor has entered into your heart the things that God has in store for you. But I want you to realize that your past can mess up your future if you don't let God do things in a new way. Here I am in a new place, in a new situation. But I'm still on the treadmill of my old experiences. And I end up trying to irrigate my blessings by foot. 
The downsizing is over, but I'm still fretting about that old job. The tumor's gone, but I'm just scared to death that it's going to come back. See, I'm fighting over stuff that's over. So God help me update my files, delete my history, and step into the present tense of where you have brought me right now. God wants to do a new thing for you for the former things have passed away. And what that means is you're a good man, but you need to delete some things. You're a good woman, but you need to delete some things. God help us to delete everything that is holding us back from stepping into the place where God is taking us. For those of you who are here who are fortunate enough, fortunate enough to think, oh man, life is great. I've never had it so good. You need to be careful. I'm happy for you. I'm praising God with you. But because when you've never had it so good, you can easily mess it up. Why? Because you get used to how you got there. Tell them I'll call them back in just a minute. You're used to how you got there, and so you quit trying to move forward. And then on the other side of that coin, you have people who are only happy when they're always fighting. There's constantly has to be turmoil. But friend, no matter what horse we ride to get here, we've got to recalibrate ourselves to where we are now. And we need to delete the bad experiences and, for that matter, even delete the good experiences out of our past so that we can come before God every day as a blank sheet of paper and say, create in me a clean heart and put a new and right spirit within me, O Lord. God's mercies are new every morning, and we need to cling on to those mercies to partake in the daily bread that God has for us for that day. So you have to understand that by the time our text occurs, most of the old folks that were in Egypt, they've died. They didn't make it to the promised land. So we're only talking about about just a few folks who are tough enough to still be around. And when you look at yourself, when you look at where you came from, well, it's sad to think about it, but many of your friends are gone. You have no idea where most of your classmates are. So that means you've had to be strong to survive. You've had to be blessed just to still be in the game because most of them died in the wilderness and they never made it over to where you are now to have the problem that you have now. So in other words, you're blessed to still be playing. A weaker man would have died in the wilderness. A weaker woman would have died back in Egypt. But here you are on the brink of your promised land. Here you are, one more step, and you're going to receive the greatest blessing that you've ever had. One more step, and God's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. God says in verse 10, The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. Now, what that means is when you first go into the new land, you're going to encounter difficulties. And many times when we try to go into something new, we encounter critics who call themselves our friends. See, and the reason that's a problem because 
those, all those people who are still functioning off last year's memo, they're going to think that it's wrong for you to update to where you are now. And that's why, that's why change is hard. If your change is going to make you better off than them, they're not interested in supporting that. You know, if people around you say stuff like, well, I mean, who do you think you are? You're sure getting uppity. Or, so, you're supposed to be saved now. What they're really saying is, hey, I don't give you permission to change. I want you to stay just the way you were, and there must be something wrong with you for wanting to leave me here and go there. Critics aren't your friend. And you see, most people don't make it past the criticism of their peers because if your peers don't give you permission to change, you're going to give up on your future so that you can go ahead and still hang with your homies. And you will step back into your past in order to be accepted because how they think about you is more important to you than how you think about yourself. And so you lack the strength to change to become what God wants you to be. And you give up now to go back to then. Well, because then is familiar. And, and then is, is comfortable. But then it's a vicious cycle because now that you're back in then, you're bitter because deep down in your heart, you know that you were created by God to be in his presence of now. Have you ever wondered why God always talks about where he's taking us long before he brings us into it? You know, I mentioned this last week. While David was still a shepherd boy, tending sheep, God telling him, hey, man, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel anoints David's head with oil, but then God sends David back out to hang with his homies, the sheep. See, God talks to us about where we're going in order to prepare us to break the cycle lest we pollute where he's taking us with the methodology of our past. And he begins to talk to you about where you're going because little by little God is trying to get you to let go of where you've been. In verse 9, God says, And so that you may live long in the land of the Lord swore to your the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. It's a land filled with blessings. So why is God giving them this kind of advertisement? Because he's trying to break the cycle of destructive behavior in order to update their files so they won't come into now thinking that it's Zen. And so they won't start building systems that work for them in their past, but they're not going to work for them today. And the same thing goes with us. God's saying, where I'm getting ready to take you, you won't need the irrigation systems that enabled you to survive back then because I'm getting ready to bring you into a place where now you're not going to have to pump your own water. All you're going to have to do is look up, and I'm going to send the rain down and let it fall in your life. When we get in the now with God, there will be showers of blessings. But that means we've got to be able to get past our old systems. I mean, many times a drug addict can break the chemical dependency easier than they can break the sociological dependence. They can get their body off the drug, but it's hard to get their mind out of the system. They keep going back 
to the same area where they got the drugs. They keep seeing the same people they got the drugs from. So they end up back on drugs. And you may be here and you may, you may have trouble with gossip. And if your your squad continually spills the tea, you're going to continue to be a gossip. How many have no idea what I just said? Anybody? Okay, you know, your squad's your group. Spill the tea is gossip. Kids, I'm trying to be hip, you know, trying to. Christiana's shaking her head saying, there's no way, man. You, you You will never be hip. If you're trying to escape, you can't run around with what you're trying to escape from. What God wants to do is update you to where you are now. And he says this may require a whole new system. If he heals you from heart problems, you're not going to stay healed if you eat McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You've got to get a new system. God can heal your body, but I don't know if he's going to heal stupidity. I mean, he can. He can do what he wants to. He hadn't healed mine yet. Get a new system. You've got to have liquidity in your spiritual thought to allow God to do it in a different way for your current situation than he did it for your former situation. God said, I'm bringing you into a land that flows with milk and honey, and you're not going to need your old systems in Jerusalem that you used in Egypt. Verse 12 says, it's a land the Lord your God cares for. Verse 14 says, I'm going to send autumn and spring rains on your land so that you may gather your grain, your new wine, and your olive oil. I'm going to provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you are going to eat and be satisfied. You're going to be full. God said the rain is going to come down and you're not going to have to work as hard as you did in Egypt. See what happens? We get hung up on sweating the small stuff. But when we have faith in him, God swore that he would bless us. And he is bringing you into a new land that is full of milk and honey and he's going to let it rain on you and you are not going to have to do the hard physical stuff that you did when you were in Egypt. But what happens, we say, oh, man, does that mean I get to relax and lay back? No. No. Spiritually, there are still requirements. Verse 13 says, so if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and all your soul, then, then I will reign on your land in its season." We cannot be sitting by the pool eating bonbons, waiting on God to deliver our new Mercedes Benz. It doesn't work that way. We have to work on trusting Him. We have to work to dig into His Word, to get saturated by His Spirit. We have to work on taking the high road when it's not easy. We have to work on not responding to everyone who says something stupid about us. We have to work in resting in His peace. We have to work in drawing closer to Him. And as we said last week, abide. You're not where you came from. 
Now is not then. We're not in Egypt. The enemies of our past will be seen no more. So we need to get rid of that stuff. We need to get rid of the sin that so easily besets us. We need to get rid of that attitude that keeps holding us back. Folks, we need to change. And God wants to overhaul our old system to get ready for the paradigm shift He wants to lead us into. Because God wants to take us from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And so that means we need to stop trying to control everything, forgetting those things behind, and reaching forward to receive where God is leading us, and God is leading us into a God-controlled environment. When we control stuff, we just mess it up. There was an elderly lady who lived many years ago, and she lived through through the depression. And so she heated her house by having to chop wood for the wood-burning stove. Well, after the depression, things turned around, and her son bought her an electric heater. But she wouldn't use it. And her son asked her, Mom, I mean, why don't you use the heater that that I bought for you. She said, oh, honey, you know, <laughs> that'd be so nice, but I just can't. I just can't. I, I mean, that would be heaven, and, and I don't deserve it. See, to her, she couldn't imagine another system. So she stayed with what was familiar. I mean, heat without having to chop wood, that's too good to be true. That would be heaven. And some of you here today, you won't let anyone love you or get close to you because, well, that would be heaven. And you keep reverting back to your old methods to keep people away. Others of you, when peace comes into your life and you can finally sit down and take a breath, well, your mind immediately runs to some problem, even if it's a perceived problem, because you don't think you deserve to have peace. Because, well, that would be heaven. And see, what's happened is, you know... It's just you and me here, right? There's no one else here but us. You know, we, we, walk, in, we walk into this thing called Christianity, and it's glorious and it's great, and, and we feel so clean, and, and, and God's forgiven us of our sins, but we've still brought all of our old systems with us. More times than not, God can do anything He wants to do, and God does miraculous things, but more times than not, if you have trouble with anger, even after you get saved, you really have to work on that. And so what, happened is, what happens is, even though we're a Christian and we try to put on a happy face and we try to act like we don't have any problems, I, we all have problems. We're all broken. But it's through the grace of God that he begins to heal those areas. He begins to heal those old broken systems. He begins to, begins to bring us where he wants us to be. But what happens if we're so hung up on how we used to celebrate Christmas 
we can't get on the same page of how we need to celebrate Christmas now to have peace in the family. And so what happens, we fall in love with a system of dysfunction that we have in our lives. And hey, we're still saved. I'm not saying anyone's not born again. I mean, God knows we have issues. But see, God wants to change, and he wants to heal those issues. But we've got to let him do it. We've got to realize that we need to make some changes in our life and address those things that are keeping us from walking into the promised land that he has for us. See, because God's saying, you know, if we don't get rid of that, <clears throat> that old system, those things that, that we're trying to bring with us as we move into where he wants to take us, we're going to miss out on what he wants to do in our lives. So let me close with this. I want you to ask yourself, what do I need to change for where I am? What do I need to change for where I am? What mentality, what attitude, what reactions do I need to delete this morning to receive what God has for me? And as you think about that for a minute, bow your heads with me. What's that thing that God doesn't want you to carry forward? into the promised land that he has for you now. It might be fear. It might be doubt. It might be sin. It could be any number of, of, of other issues. Maybe you have some old friends that keep pulling you back every time you try to move forward in God. And because you don't want to disappoint them, you end up disappointing God. But really what you're doing, you're disappointing yourself because, because God has been calling you to move closer to him. What do you need to change for where you are?